0: This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with a Stella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with a Stella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi weekly look at all things Houston restaurants and bars. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. This is the Thursday show where I have a conversation with someone in the food world I think you will want to learn more about. He is the head chocolatier for Mostly Chocolates, a locally owned chocolate shop. Danny Kumkagi, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Can't complain, especially this time of year. The craziness has begun.
0: This is high. I mean, we should say this is high season for artisan chocolate. This is this. Oh is, yeah, this is gifting season. This is when everybody thinks, like, you know, no matter what a person likes or doesn't like, for whatever holiday is coming up, you know, you you could do you could do worse for yourself than showing up to Thanksgiving dinner with a box of chocolate.
1: Exactly. No, it's true, and it it really. You know, it's like it, the, the November 1st on the dot, you know, and it's funny. We actually had a pretty busy October, but once November hits, everything just feels different. Um, you just get that feeling in the air. It's a little quiet before the storm that last week of October for Halloween. And then it just goes crazy um, for sure until till the new year.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk to you about kind of what you guys have going on for the holidays. But, but before we do that, I want to I want to learn a little more about mostly chocolate. So tell me a little bit about I mean I, I know your mother founded this business a while ago. Tell me tell me a little bit about your family's history in the chocolate business. Yeah, of course.
1: It's, it's first and foremost with my family everything evolves around food. Um, you know, and it started with my grandmother on my mom's side Adele the reason why we were able to, and we're a big family, uh, even on my dad's side, but on my mom's side, she comes from a family of six and they're spread out all over the world. Um, and she get everyone together in Montreal where she lived for every high holiday because of her food. She, I mean, you know, obviously, because we wanted to see everybody and we have a good amount of family that does live there, but she would prep all year for all the holidays and everything. And that was really one of our strong bonds and connections. So my mom kept that, you know, I'm first generation Texan. My parents moved here uh, in the 80s, and she wanted to make sure that we understood food culture and had an appreciation for food. And she loved uh, everything that my grandmother did. So that was a big part of her life was emulating all that and having her own take on certain things. But I think when I was in high school, she got to a point where she just remembered and both my mom and dad—they—they're both originally from Beirut. Uh, they, my dad's about nine. My dad's nine years older than my mom. Both of them left Beirut uh, during the civil war in the '70s. So my mom was about nine. My dad was eighteen. Uh, my mom ended up moving to Montreal. My dad's family moved to Italy, um, and they, but they have such fond memories of the food they ate on the streets there, the different times of year, and what you know what the treats were. And dessert was really big there. And there were certain things that they ate with chocolate that wasn't what Americans eat with chocolate. And some of that is like house-made marzipans, you know, stuffed figs, stuff like dipped in chocolate, things like that. And she got to a point in Houston when I was in high school that she was craving those things, but couldn't get that high-quality version of it in, in Houston. And with her mentality and the mentality of, of my grandmother. It's, you know, if I can't find something of the, that I want, I'm going to figure out how to make it. And she started taking take, she took a course in Montreal at a chocolate school at the Calibo chocolate school there. Uh, and then she took actually a really good course at HCC downtown here had had and probably still has a really good chocolate course there. And that's what started her journey. It was mainly just for fun. Uh, but as most of these things go, uh, you know, when, you t- when you're talking about a business, before you know it, uh, she had people asking her for party favors and wedding gifts, et cetera, and right, she right. felt you show,
0: confident. You show up to enough people's houses with chocolates that you made, yeah. eventually they're probably yeah. going to try to buy them from you.
1: Exactly, and it's funny. Our house on Cedar Creek became the uh, a chocolate house. I mean, we have, we'd have pe- people come by and, and just kind of buy chocolates from us, obviously all in the hush-hush, but um, at the time it was great. You know, in her back pocket, and a lot of people knew of how good of a cook she was. And it got to a certain point with my parents where my dad had kind of retired from jewelry. He was in wholesale jewelry for my whole life up to that point. But that industry just kind of died down. It wasn't what it used to be. So they needed another source of income. And the chocolate was great. But when she started doing food, it was, it was something that was year more year-round and was more sustainable so she started doing both and we were trying to think of a name. And, you know, after weeks and months of trying to think, we said, well, you do, you mostly do chocolate, but you do food too. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but why don't we call it mostly chocolate? It's kind of unique. It's different. And that just kind of stuck with us. So she got into full food service catering pretty early on and she's done it, you know, probably since 2010, but she she kept the chocolate going and I would help here and there on that side. I was I went to U of H. uh, So I was always around the house. Even when I had part-time jobs, I would still work part-time for them. And part of the stuff I would do for her on the chocolate side was polishing molds, super fun, Uh, painting some stuff, whatever we did at that was very different from what I'm doing now on a much lower level. Um, But I would help her out. But I never felt that passion. It always felt so uh, kind of felt like
0: annoying work I didn't enjoy it well I mean let's let's be real right she she was giving you like the tedious shit she didn't want to do right I mean that's it, that, you know. that true and, and even this yeah 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 sorry go ahead no no but I mean like like that's you know you're you're my kid do as I say you know help yeah. out the business but yeah I don't I
1: don't blame you and it was really cool I mean it was really cool but it's you know chocolate is tedious and it's it's a lot of hard work and the less equipment you have too, the harder it is and the less education you have, like the less experience, it's just it's hard and it makes you just want to be like, oh, man, this is too much work, you know, very early on. It's very easy to just get in that mindset. And I'm a young kid, you know, I'm working part time for uh, for um, Hot 95.7 because I, I was doing media production at the time. So I, I had all these different jobs I was doing. This wasn't the most exciting, but it was helping my parents out. And it was cool. It was cool to, like, make chocolates and eat them. Uh, but he, everything that she did was so, like, technical and, like, the, well, you know, tempering and crystallizing chocolate before you work with it. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, there are ways that are make way more inspiring than others. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But basically, at that point... Um, I had graduated college a few years after that and and I saw how hard that they worked to build this company. It was really impressive. And for me, it's like, you know, I can go look for some, I can start looking for jobs and, you know, go the entry level routes and then I can, I can, I can definitely do that. But why not take this opportunity to see if I can build a company with my parents? They've done so much work in the past four or five years, which as everyone knows, it's a hard part of building a company is that in those initial years. So it just felt like a good opportunity, but I was thinking, I'm going to work on the business side. I'm going to build the social media up. I'm going to work on all these side things, help her with events and stuff, but I didn't think I was going to be in the kitchen, but I wanted to give it a shot. I said, worst case, I can go back to school. Uh, I can, I can find my passion. I'm young enough to be able to kind of do that. And uh, a few, I told them my one, My one thing, if I'm going to work for you guys, is we have to agree today that we're going to look for a commercial kitchen starting now, even though we probably couldn't even afford it at that point. Um, And we're going to move out of the house. Like, we're not going to be doing this. It's going to be like legit. We're going to have all the paperwork. We're going to do this properly and take it to that next level. If you guys are willing to make that commitment, then I know we're serious. And they were. It took about a year. Um, A year or two is when we found the place that we're in right now. And when we found it, it already had a kitchen. So that really helped us a lot from a building standpoint. The only thing we did, we renovated a few things. We broke some walls down. We put in a walk-in cooler and freezer for her. And then we put a small room for chocolate. It had like a controlled AC unit. I mean, very basic stuff, no equipment, just a special room for her. And that first year that we were here, she thought she'd have time to do her winter chocolates. She had so many, um, her her catering company really bo- blossomed that year i mean it had been growing but really took off she had a few big clients she had no time for chocolate and every summer we would go to the um in new york there's a fancy food show market and we'd go there to get inspired or find new vendors for her catering or find a new chocolate vendor or whatever because you know to source our chocolate like using velrona or cocoa berry and uh when we before we went she said look there's the sweetest chocolatier." that has a booth there this year. And he's a really nice guy. Whatever you do, I want to make sure that you find the time to meet him. And I said, all right, the event, we were there for four or five days. And every time I went to the booth, he wasn't there. He he, he actually, they ended up getting so busy. He never made it there till the last day. And finally, I had finally given up. My girlfriend was with me now my wife. And she said, you know what, this is the last day go one more time. Just go one more time. And you can't miss this guy. He's like a six foot four Swedish bald guy. Just like (laughs) <laughs> big dude right and so we walk we go down the aisle and i just see this tall guy over there this big 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 guy i'm like okay he's there i'm gonna go introduce myself and within like two minutes of meeting him he just offers me a free apprenticeship for two weeks he's like yeah come come in a month shoot me a, you know give me a call or shoot me an email i'd love to have you you might not even like chocolate but why don't you come and check it out and see if you like it it was called fika it doesn't exist anymore Uh, sadly, I think they tried to grow too fast. Um, and it was just amazing to have that kind of mentor. I, I took him up on that and that was like walking into their facility, seeing the way that they were working with chocolate. It was just on a different, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. You know, it's like walking into, it's like, you know, at first, let's say you walk into a 24 hour fitness and you see, uh, some, some guys shooting hoops at, at the basketball court. And you're like, that's cool. Okay. But then you walk in another day and it's like Michael Jordan and you're like, okay, this is awesome. I want to learn how to do that. Right. That's kind
0: of how, kind of how it felt for me. I I mean, that's such a funny thing to say, because some people would say, like if they saw Michael Jordan practicing, they'd be like, that's intimidating. I I'll never be that good. Right. right? I I, know, but I like that. You kind of took it as a challenge. You, You saw that chocolate and you were like, Oh yeah, I, I can learn how to do that. Like, this is not, this is different than what I'm doing, but not that different.
1: Exactly. And I think what what really, to your point, you know, all that comes down to who you meet, right? And I happen to meet two of the nicest people in the industry that are just so humble, and they want people to learn and they convince you that yes, you can. Like this guy, when he was 16, was competing on the Swedish, uh, he was a chocolate sculptor on the Swedish, like, chocolate award they won like gold or silver and like the world chocolate competition when he was 16 so yeah it was very intimidating but he never acted like you would have never known that about him you know and that's the kind of and, and the kind of support that they gave me and encouragement was was really important so yes to your point but the reason I felt that way was because they let me feel that way as opposed to kind of yelling at me or giving me that that other approach of not being so nice and and that's what really encouraged me and then it all kind of clicked in my head i'm 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 there for two weeks after the first few days i'm like i have this you know i have i have a kitchen already like how many opportunities do people get where they find something they love and then at the same time they happen to have the perfect setup to do it it's very rare
0: just take a step back and just just explain like kind of what what were they doing that's sort of different than what you were already doing and, and then like, how did that sort of set the next stage of, of the business for you?
1: So, well, for everything, obviously the scale was crazy, right? They're producing like 20,000 truffles. They didn't have a crazy amount of equipment, which was amazing. They just had big marble tables. And in the chocolate world, a lot of people don't know this, but before you work with chocolate, uh, you have to, um, you have to crystallize. It's like when people temper glass, before they work with glass. So there's a process that needs to be done with chocolate before you work with it. It's called crystallizing or tempering. It's basically the, the, the cocoa butter, the fat that's in chocolate needs to be uh, in a certain crystal form for it to set up nicely and have the proper um, have everything kind of combined when it sets, as opposed to like olive oil, olive oil and vinegar where it separates. So there's different ways of doing that. If you're working at home, I mean, the process is simple. It's heating up chocolate to a point where you melt all the butter and then it's a process of cooling it and aggravating it at the same time, okay? So you can do that through the, with the microwave and like there's different methods of doing that at home that aren't as fun looking and it's just very meticulous and you're literally just like stirring chocolate for 30, 45 minutes until you get it to the right phase. Um, what they were doing was the old school way where you just have a big marble table or granite because they're full to the touch And you pour your melted chocolate on there. You buy a scraper from Home Depot, uh, stainless steel scraper. scraper? And you just move that. Yeah, exactly. And you you just move that chocolate around until you get to the right temperature, which takes five minutes instead of 45 minutes. And you pour it back into your cylinder and voila, you're ready to go. And that was like the art form of doing that and watching them do that was mesmerizing. And it's funny, whenever I do workshops here and I do that in the workshop, people are always like, I can watch this for hours. And I tell them, yeah, like, this is what made me fall in love with chocolate. It wasn't the fancy equipment. It wasn't like anything else. It was just the basic like one to one connection that these people had with a product that I thought was amazing. In addition to that, I was really blown away with the creativity that they had, like walking into their chocolate room and just all like I just didn't understand the comp how complex you can get with flavors. I thought, all these tradition. I always think traditional, my mom loved all these traditional chocolate flavors, but what they were doing was like on a different level. And they had things that were salty and sweet and popcorn and this and that, like, it was like Willy Wonka, you know, and I didn't understand that.
0: All right. So tell me about you, you get inspired, you, you, you come home and you tell your mom, like, look, all this stuff that you've been doing is cool, but I want to blow it all up and do these really like these crazy flavors. And I, I need a giant slab of granite to, to work with the chocolate. Like, <laughs> We're, we're, we're changing everything. We're, we're taking this to the next level.
1: Yeah, and basically what I told her was, look, like you're so busy with catering. I mean, we really want to add another element that can be managed and controlled by someone else because you don't have time. I want to take something off your plate, right? And I told her, like, I can build my clientele off yours for now and use word of mouth and see where it takes us. Uh, and I said, I don't want any fancy equipment, okay? I don't need anything. The only investment that I need is a marble table. Like we need a marble. So we ended up spending, I think it was maybe a thousand dollars and that was a lot for us back then. I mean, it was crazy, but I said, that's, that's all I need. You give me that. Let me do everything. You know, I'll earn equipment. Let me earn it. Let me work towards it. If it's, if, if I, you know, work hard enough, then we'll do it, you know, but let me give it a shot. I do want to do things that are different. I'm going to take some of your stuff and keep it, which I've still done like the golden almonds that we do. The salted caramel, obviously, the design is different now. It's much more professional looking, but it's still the same signature caramel that she made. Um, so there are certain aspects that I wanted to keep. I did want to take it to a different level, uh, and I and I wanted it to complement what she was doing. So I don't think she was taking it. I think she wanted me to do that. You know, I, at that point, I loved what I was doing with them, but I did at the same time, and my wife can tell you, I, I was a little bit lost with my direction. Like I didn't really, I loved helping them out, but I, I, it was so challenging, you know, running a company, no matter what age you are and and starting a new one, even if it's four years old, it's not an easy task for anybody. Uh, It sounds all great when people say, Oh, just be an entrepreneur. And it is great in a lot of ways, but it's a lot of work. Um, And you have to be willing to do it. And I just found that with chocolate, it tapped into my creativity side because I always had a creativity side of myself. But it allowed me to have a strong work ethic, which I think I always had, but through creativity as opposed to sitting in front of a computer, which I didn't enjoy as much. Um, So it was work that I was willing to do, even though it was a lot of hard labor and a lot of standing on your feet all day. And luckily, I had uh, that mentor of mine and his sous chef who were willing to work with me via text even throughout their busy season, all the time answering my questions you know, I have a problem with this. I take a picture. They would tell me, oh, you need to do this, this and that. And then it was coming in at 6 a.m. And just kind of every day, you know, coming in early, leaving late and just working on the craft before I even decided to have a flavor menu or anything.
0: I mean, and we should say, I mean, you're a young guy, right? I mean, you're you're what you're like you're mid 30s. So you're in your
1: 35. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're in like your late 20s, or early 30s when all this is happening. I mean, that's in some ways that's yeah. that's relatively young to be like in charge of all this. It, it was a lot, you know, and
1: you learn a lot as you go. Uh, I, you know, I think what was lucky for me in a lot of ways was we already had a sustainable company and I had other people. It wasn't just me, right? I had my mom and my dad who can help with the books, who can help with the other side of the business. You know, a lot of people that start these kind of things, it's just them and that's it. And it's hard, you know, uh, it's it's so much harder. So I'm, I'm fortunate To have had a little bit of support and help or a lot of support and help and and great advice too. Um, And that helped me manage everything. I don't know if I would be able, if I'd be sitting here, if it was just me alone. I mean, it's, it's so hard. If there's so many things that could go wrong, so many decisions you need to make, whether there's even the small ones, like what color boxes to buy, or it could be the dumbest thing, but it can trip you up and you're just stuck, you know? it's crazy, so yeah, it, it's not hard, but if you really want it, you can achieve it for sure.
0: Well, and and so tell me a little bit about kind of how you grew this thing because, you know, when I when I think about chocolate, right? There's international competition, right? I mean, you know, every good dive yeah. is like all over the place, and there's yeah any any number of other prominent, and then and then there's other locals that are kind of they're doing kind of similar work to yours. I mean, how did you? How did you sort of establish your reputation? Like, how did you how did you get to where you are now?
1: Uh, I will say it was great to have because my mom established a great reputation and, you know, she wasn't doing like what Hawken was doing in New York, but she was making really good product and she would never sell something that she didn't love. And she has a, you know, she has high standards for food. So that helped a lot. Um, But for me, it was and I think growing up around food culture and around food all the time gave me a higher standard too, for what I wanted for myself. And I just believed if I felt like I was making a good product and people would try it, they would feel the same way. Uh, what I would really help me was having that catering company because I was able, you know, my mom caters to a lot of people in Houston and a good portion of them do own their own companies or work for big companies. And to be able to kind of get the chocolates in there for them to try, you know, word of mouth in that circle really helped a lot. What really helped us set us apart from bigger companies was just having a different business model really too. So I wanted to attack corporate gifting. So living in Houston gives you a very different uh, side of retail, especially if you're a boutique. So if you're in New York, there's a lot of competition, right? And it's all Like you can just open up a chocolate shop on the street and you can get busy and be fine. That doesn't work here so much. It's much more challenging. So you have to think a little bit outside the box, which makes you stand out a little bit more. So our main focus was corporate gifting from the beginning, as opposed to walk-in customers, right? So that already gave us a little bit of an edge on that and helped us grow the company in that way. Um, We weren't worried about where we were located. You know, we're, we're over in Spring Branch and we're right by like Audi International. We're not like in a in Highland Village, right? We're not in like in a pro, uh prominent like walking area in Houston, like I don't even think there is one, really. But uh yeah, Rice Village maybe and, or
0: or Highland Village maybe. Uh, yeah.
1: But I always talk to people it's so Houstonians are funny. Like even though we have those areas and you can maybe you'll agree with me, but even for me if I'm going to a store in Rice Village, I'm going to that store And it's tunnel vision. I'm getting back in the car and I'm (laughs) driving somewhere else. It's never like, you know, I'm just gonna walk down the street. It just we just don't do that here.
0: Well, what's what's funny is if you if you're like, I don't know, if you like have lunch at Helen and then you think like, oh, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna go have a, an ice cream cone at, at Van Leeuwen, right within within Rice yeah, Village. Yeah, yeah, that. Houstonians yeah, will yeah. Houstonians will drive from one to the other, right? They they think nothing Exa- of driving. Yeah, of they, driving those two they blocks will. instead of walking it.
1: Exactly. So I and I knew, and I know Houstonians because I am one, and it's like if you make a really good product and you're within a certain distance from the loop, people will drive to you to pick up their stuff. Like we have, like just around the corner here. You know, we have one of the best bakeries in town, and people will drive and wait in line even if they live 20 minutes away to get their bread, you know? So I, and I really felt that, and this area has bloomed since then anyways. So I think that these are like a few things that kind of did set us apart in Houston, uh, corporate gifting, especially, and then just kind of building on that every year. Um, And then slowly what I would do is every Saturday at that time, when I started the, the, the thing to do, if you were like William Sonoma or these, retail shops was in order to bring in more customers is you'd have like pop-ups that was like I know it's still kind of big but back then it was like the new thing you know it was like pop-ups on Saturdays we're gonna have artisan people come and I got in early with William Sonoma and I used to go every single Saturday for like I don't know almost like a farmer's market for me but it was great publicity for me I mean it was it was a lot of work and I only had like one other person with me and I'd go with like this big box of chocolates with like 20 flavors lined up and you would build your own. It was like a little boutique station that I'd build there for people. That was great exposure for us. And we got a lot of corporate clients just from doing that, you know, and just r- regulars to come into the shop. Um, so, and, and then also like the art studios used to do a lot of pop-ups that were so great. And I'm sure they still are. Um, but we used to go there and set up a table and just start selling chocolates. Uh, and that really, really helped grow the company because we couldn't afford PR. We couldn't afford like an article or like, we just couldn't back then. Like for us, it was just like, try to find, try to get our chocolates in people's mouths in the most convenient way that we can for people. And if they like it, they can buy our stuff. We didn't even have like the best website back then, you know? So all these things
0: kind of grew together. I mean, the other thing I think that really helped you guys is that you've done very well at the rodeo best bite event every year
1: that's that always helps for sure and that you know to be able to say hey we won this award this is a belt buckle that we won at the event it's it's awesome it's always great to have some publicity like that you know do you wear Uh, the belt buckle i'm sorry
0: i i i don't mean to interrupt no
1: if i go if i go to if i go to cook off i do but i haven't been to cook off uh in a few years you know i have a little one at home now and we've just gotten you get so busy with the business like you forget to have fun sometimes when you're building a business so I haven't gone as much as I'd like to but whenever I go I do rock them but right now we have them just in front of our chocolate display for when people come in they can see them um but yeah I mean they're 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 beautiful and it's it's nice it really is such a Texas thing you know to be able to earn your belt buckle because that is a thing and it feels good to be able to do even though he's in like the food world, but to be able to earn our belt buckle by winning that award, I think is so cool. Um, and it, it really is great because it makes me feel like, hey, what we're doing, people really are. Enjo- I mean, it proves that people really are enjoying the flavors that we're making. And it's a nice confidence boost whenever you're trying to be creative and think of things, you know, it's like people are appreciative of, of the work that we've been putting in, which is really nice.
0: Well, I mean, I can say, as one of the people who's judged that event over the years, it's a difficult environment because you know it's brought to you in boxes, you know, in styrofoam boxes and mm-hmm. and it's coming at you like basically just as fast as you can as fast as you can take a bite of something and rank it, the next thing something is, event. is so I mean, it's really to your credit because it's a it's a really difficult kind of environment to compete in so so to win not just once but but a few times over the years is pretty commendable and and I I do like that event. I mean, you know, there's there's thousands of lines and and more than 100 food vendors. But but somehow, like, I don't know whether it's through word of mouth or just uh, or just, you know, the reputation built up over the years. But like people figure out where to go, you know, they 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 learn pretty quickly, like who the reliable ones are and they always get a huge line. And then, you know, the other restaurants, not that they don't have their fans, but but it's you can you can kind of tell who the fan favorites are as you walk that room.
1: Yeah. For sure. You know what I love about that event too is that I love how nice everyone is. And and, and not just the people that run the event, like the actual people that attend, like when you talk about Southern hospitality, like go to an event like that. And it's just amazing. People are just so genuinely nice. It's such a great and well-run event. Uh, It's, and it's so fun to be a part of as a food vendor. I mean, even if you don't, I mean, there's been years that we didn't win. I mean, it's just so nice to be. It's such a fun event to be around. It's it's a good vibe, um, and there's great wines to drink, and it is good publicity. You know, people see your stuff out there. I always encourage um, whenever I meet someone that's in the catering industry or anything, you know, anything food related, and they ask about it. I'm like, hey, you know, it's it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna, regardless of whether you win or not, you're gonna have fun, and that's what really matters. And it's an easy setup and breakdown.
0: At least for us it is. I'm sure some of those Yeah, the, like Gus is Gus is the shows up with with fryers, you know, that may be a little more complicated, but Yeah. Uh...
1: Well, some people are trying to win like the design and that kind of stuff. So you can get really crazy with it. We kind of were like, "You know what? We know we're not going to win that one. We're like it, we're always coming off Valentine's too. We're so exhausted because it's always the week after Valentine's." We're like, "We're going to do the best we can. We're going to put out the best product we think we can put out for the event that people will enjoy." And we'll have like a beautiful display of chocolates, but we're not winning like the rodeo themed booth. It's just, we don't have the the manpower at that point. We're so drained, you know, to, to think that way, but it's impressive.
0: All right. So tell me about kind of where you are now, right? I mean, you know, as you said, you sort of, you inherited this business from your parents. You, you did all this extra training. You, you got inspired, you know, you, you said we couldn't afford PR at the beginning. You know, I don't think it'll surprise anyone listening to this, that your PR firm is who pitched you to this. So you you're clearly you can afford them now. So so tell me about tell me about kind of the state of mostly chocolate, you know, as we head into the holidays of 2023.
1: Yeah. You know, we're in a in a great growth spurt right now. Uh and we've seen the growth. We we purchased a company about two years, two and a half years ago from Michael's Cookie Jar, who Michael Savino loved that guy. Um he he had bought it from these two ladies. It's called Chocolate Pizzazz. And I love their, it really speaks to me because I grew up with a savory palette, funny enough that I'm in chocolate. When I found out how savory you can make chocolates, I fell in love with chocolate, but I love the savory and sweet stuff. And, you know, they do like popcorn drizzled with toffee bits and M&Ms and and chocolate. So it's a little bit different from what I do, obviously, but it's so it's like the stuff you bring to like a Super Bowl party, and or to like you know they're super whimsical and well decorated. They're great for hostess gifts, and there's just so many applications for it. Um, and that you know when we merged the two, it really really helped us a lot and helped us bring in a lot more customers into the door. So we've seen a lot of great growth in the last few years, and then this past year really it's been it's been a lot of growth for me. So just like I spent uh, years learning and educating myself on the chocolate side of things. I feel like, you know, now I have three chocolatiers under me. I have my sous chef and two guys under him that are helping me produce. And for me, it's like a shift in role too. It's like, I need to be obvious. I love being in production. Like I can be in production forever. It's my favorite, but the company's not going to grow the way I need it to grow. If I just sit in production the rest of my life, as much as I love it. Right. So I have to wear, different, you know, multiple hats. And one of them is taking that role of whether it's like CEO or, you know, all these big decisions that need to be made, um, making sure the company is running uh, smoothly from a, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, you don't want to work in chaos, right? You want to be organized and planned and have team meetings and production meetings. And, you know, I have social media meetings with my social, social media girls like every other week, right? These are things I never thought of doing before. So it's almost like you have this, corporate mindset you build in. Obviously, we're not corporate, but just to build the infrastructure to help me stabilize and grow properly. And this is kind of the phase that I had been in in the last six months and developing a strong culture and structure behind that. And it's been a big learning curve for me. So it's great. And I always love learning more, more and more about my business and how I can make it more successful but it's definitely, you know, it's challenging. You, you know, you have to move from, from one area to the next. And I've never been like a, uh, you know, I'm an art, artistic guy. So for me to have that structure, it's new. I love it, but it's not how I was always focused when I would do something. So that's been a big learning curve. And that's kind of where I am as a person growing within the company. Uh, the company itself, You know, as I mentioned before, we've seen that growth in the last few years. And and that's just what we're focusing on. We're focusing on maintaining growth. Most importantly, keeping the quality of the product that we're making, which is so important. Um, And, you know, I mean, in this industry, like chocolate alone has just skyrocketed. Everything has gotten more expensive. But we hold firm, and that's what sets us apart. You know, you asked us, like, how do we compete with Godiva? Well, Godiva is no longer a high-end brand. I mean, they just... You know, they, they use cheap, 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 cheap products to make their product cheaper, cheaper and cheaper chocolate to make their product and more sugar than, you know, all these kind of things that we refuse to do. Uh, We really refuse to do that. So it's like maintaining all those levels and then maintaining a strong um, culture within the company and then a strong brand. And most importantly, I wouldn't be anywhere, no matter how talented anyone is. Like, I always try to stress this to people, like, You're you're uh, when you're front facing with customers like the way you treat people, whether it's customers, whether it's um, employees um, like customer service, the way you treat employees, the way you treat people in general in life um, will get you as far as you're going to go, I believe. And so I've always believed in a strong customer service, you know, treating people the right way. You know, something not mistakes happen, but owning up to them right away and making it right the, the best that you can making it fair and um, and taking care of the people that are lo- loyal to you and making sure that you have a culture that people want to be in. And that's going to breed success. So I think that is so crucial. I think it's very crucial. So it's just kind of maintaining those fronts.
0: All right. So I said. I'd ask you about your holiday offering. So tell me a little bit, about, well, we're, you know, I don't, I don't want to run too long, but tell me a little bit about what you've got going on for Thanksgiving, Christmas and Hanukkah.
1: So we have, uh, yeah, so we have five flavors on the bonbon bon side that we're doing. We have pumpkin pie that'll run until the end of Thanksgiving or until December. We're doing uh, peppermint crunch, uh, eggnog, gingerbread and an almond coconut crunch that's new this year that I really, really love. My favorite is the peppermint crunch, it's phenomenal. Um, And and what we're doing for, you know, those you can build and put into any of your boxes, but we have specialty like 12 piece boxes just for Christmas and Hanukkah that will have three of each of those flavors in them. Um, So that's a nice little addition. Uh, We have one of our new products that we started this year. It's taken us a long time to perfect our toffee recipe, but we wanted to make. A toffee that just was really brittle, didn't stick to your teeth, and had the right amount of flavor. We love a little bit of salt. So having the right amount of salt to balance sweetness. So we have our dark chocolate pecan covered uh toffee. And we have our coffee toffee that we do in milk chocolate, which is surprising. We did it for fun, amazed at how much we liked it. But I was really amazed at how much customers liked it. I didn't think it was gonna be like a huge seller. We did it for our we do a subscription box every month. Which I'll, I'll tell you about in a second, but we do a subscription box every month, and we did that for it, and people loved it. But quick note on the subscription box is it is awesome. It's a six-piece box and a confectionery item. There's three. Fla- there's two flavors in the box, three of each. Um, between those and the confectionery item, we have never done them before. They're always like a complete new thing. There's a QR code with a survey that links to what the flavors are and and a survey, and we let you guys judge. What you thought of our new flavors, and that has helped us. <clears throat> that has helped us uh, not become complacent and comfortable, and always think creatively of new flavors. And two, let us know what you guys think of our products and what you want to see next. What
0: What is a confectionery item? Is that like that could be like a chocolate like bar or
1: yeah, it could be marshmallows, chocolate bar. It could be a caramel. It could be you know anything that isn't a bonbon. You know, it could be. Right. And, and how much yeah. does this cost? The subscription. So, oh man, you caught me there. I have to look at the website. It's like 20 something for a pickup option. We do a delivery option for people that don't either live far away or don't, don't live in Houston. And it's in the third, it's like 30 something, maybe 32, 33. And that includes shipping. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, pretty reasonable. Uh, and it's fun. And it's always new flavors that we haven't done. And that helps us create. I mean, a lot of our Christmas flavors and some of the flavors on our line, the Tequila 2.0 that won at the rodeo was one of those. So, it's a great way for us to judge what other people think of our, of our new stuff as well. Not just us. Um, so we have that. And then on the pizzazz side, we have all the normal stuff that we do, but with a, with um, Christmas themed and Hanukkah themed, like whatever the design is and the ribbon. Right. Red and green m and
0: blue and white m yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. We're doing a peppermint uh, toffee. That's a, uh, not toffee, a peppermint uh, bark that we do every year. That's really, really delicious and uh oh and one of the new items that we launched that's part of the holidays are these clusters that we're doing which i'll give you some to try they come in a really not in a round cylinder there's i think eight of them in there and these ones are stuffed we always use a single origin like high-end chocolate so the milk one that you're going to be trying is a a dark milk chocolate dominican republic single origin and then we fold in diced orange peels pop quinoa pecans roasted pecans and a little bit of salt it's my favorite, and then we're sold out. But we have a dark chocolate version we're doing with a Peruvian chocolate with cranberries, uh, popped quinoa, hazelnuts, and a little bit of salt, which is also really good. And those, I, those are great. Those are my favorite snacking items to take home and just snack on while I'm watching a movie or something.
0: Yeah, and quinoa is a superfood, so it's good for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, if, if for people that do want something a bit lighter and like high quality um those uh those clusters are like the perfect after dinner kind of during the week just have one or two of those like little snack because they're they're stuffed with things like quinoa, which is good for you, some sort of nut, you know orange peels, stuff like that that are that are really nice and healthy so
0: you know it's so funny, you know when they they pitch this to me, they're like, oh well, you could taste you could taste through the chocolates. During the show, and I said, "No, no, we have a strict rule about (laughs) no eating during the show. It's not, it's not that kind of." But, but then they said, "Well, but we can still send you chocolate, right?" And I was like, "Oh yes, you can always. Oh yeah, you can always send me chocolate. You know, I've never, I'll never. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And I got some. I wanted you to try all the seasonal flavors that we're doing and some of the new products that we have. So I think you'll be excited for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll I'll post all that to Instagram so people who follow me on Instagram." They'll see that on my stories or or however I no, great. I decided to That'd be awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh well, Danny, we this has been this has been a lot of fun for me, but we are we are running a bit long. So before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Danny Kimkagi, what is your favorite non-chocolate ingredient? Ah. Oh, uh
1: Non chocolate ingredient. Oh my God, I don't know. Um, I guess cheese. I love artists and cheeses.
0: <laughs> that's a good, oh, that's a perfectly good answer. What is the first band you ever saw in concert?
1: Uh, you're going to laugh, but it was a band called Un Loco. <laughs> it was like a, 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 a Houston based like, rock band at the time. Nice. All right. But nothing exciting, Mitch.
0: Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, it's got to be Hakeem Olajuwon, man. got to be. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. I would say
1: it's Whataburger, but it has to be double cheese, double meat. No other way.
0: All right. And then finally, what is the new Houston restaurant you haven't been to yet? But you are dying to try. Oh, I haven't been
1: to that. Um, I don't know how new it is, but that the the Thai restaurant, um, oh, the one in East kitchen. Downtown.
0: Yeah, yeah, I haven't been there yet. I'm dying to go. You got to go to street. You got to go. they they're just their new location opens next week. You got to go.
1: I got it. Yeah, I got to check it out because I've been, you know, every time I go to that area, I went to Neighbors Pizza in Popston uh, a few weeks ago, which was phenomenal. And every time I go there with my buddies, like, yeah, they're going to open like in a week or two. You should go. So I need to go for sure. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Danny, give us the website for Mostly Chocolate.
1: Yeah, it's mostlyhtx.com. So super simple.
0: And uh, on Instagram?
1: Instagram the handles at Mostly Chocolate. Danny, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me.
0: You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.